Welcome to Empowered Thinking at Play. I'm Kim Nelson, writer, meditation teacher, confidence coach, and someone with a very curious mind. I'm here talking to guests and exploring what makes them feel empowered, how they've created a stronger mindset, and their interpretation of what empowerment really is. My guest is Bronwyn Wilson, someone I met nearly 13 years ago when I was invited to gatecrash her honeymoon. Me and about eight others who were holidaying on a beautiful Croatian island. Since then, we remained as firm Facebook friends until I reached out to her for this podcast, having been impressed by her work in mental health and her poetry performances. We talked about her work in mental health and how she's creating space for people to have difficult conversations. We also talked about her experience in training to be a dancer, what she has learnt about herself this year, her definition of what empowerment is, having a new lease on life after divorce, and finding out that she's rather good at writing and performing poetry. She also reads one of her poems, although it's saved until right at the end of this podcast due to some rather rude words which she won't want any children to hear. Let's um let's get on with it. So yeah. what are you so your work, you you're working with young people, aren't you? Um well I work for an organization that works with young people, yeah. So um I for the first year and a bit that I was working there, I was doing direct services with all the kind of young people in Bristol. Like, I think I worked with over 4,000 of them by the time I did that year and a half. And um, But now I've moved into a different role. So now I'm training kind of professionals, really. So grown-ups who work, either work with young people or um, just want to change their approach to mental health and kind of do it in a slightly more well-rounded way. Um, so, yeah, it's, to, it's kind of looking at practical things that people can do that will improve the well-being of everyone, basically. Okay. But yeah, the charity I work for is youth focused. So, yeah. What brought you to that sort of profession? Ah, oh, that's a really good question. Um, I have probably got one of the weirdest CVs in the world. But the one thing that's kind of like been a theme through all of my work is that I have always worked directly with people and facilitated groups, basically being that person who creates a space where other people can have difficult conversations. And I just randomly Googled, I think I was like on a, I can't remember which job site it was, but this job popped up and it it just kind of described everything that I know how to do and really enjoy doing. So it was about facilitating groups, talking about mental health, talking about real life experiences of stress and well-being and working with teenagers who I do love working with because I find them endlessly fascinating and hilarious and brilliant, essentially. Um, and the organisation were very much like a kind of social justice type angle. So they've got a real, I love, I mean, this is something that I really love that they talk about a lot is that, um, you know, sometimes when people are feeling angry or sad or depressed or anxious, there's nothing actually wrong with them. They're just having a healthy reaction to an unhealthy environment. Mm. So it's, you know, the fact that the organisation wasn't just providing a service to try and patch people up and send them on their way. It was actually an organisation that was trying to change the way that people look at the whole issue so that mental health is actually 
you know environmental health it's social justice it's you know inequality and all of the different factors that go into it you know why why would someone who's in an incredibly stressful situation not be stressed right yeah um and also the fact that mental health whenever and this is something i always used to ask when i used to run workshops with teenagers you know when you say mental health and ask people what words immediately spring into their mind you you normally get a list of like negative mental health so you know anxiety depression people would say ocd you know like you'd get this list of kind of Mm. all the times when people's mental health isn't very good and I was like well that's interesting isn't it because if I said physical health to you what would you describe to me and normally when people are describing physical health they give you lots of positive things like you know being fit being active (laughs) you know eating well all that kind of stuff and I was like well isn't this weird that we look at these things which are essentially completely linked in totally different ways and we have different associations and the fact that we don't think about our mental health when it's good, we tend to concentrate on it only when it's bad. That's, mm. That tells us a lot about our attitudes and kind of how we're approaching it. So yeah, That's really so, interesting. Yeah. So what are you, how, what are you, what are you, some of the um, things that you're doing to change that? Um, so I used to run something called Resilience Lab, which was all about boosting your resilience because it's something that you can learn to do better. Um, and it's quite simple. Um, and part of that is really understanding the effects of um, stress and dealing with too much on our minds and our bodies in a combination and being able to recognise those signs and symptoms in ourselves, but also in other people. And then building up, you know, a whole bag of tools that people can use to boost their self-esteem in normal times, but also so it's ready for them when they are going through those more stressful periods. Because, you know, the the idea is we don't want to get rid of stress completely because it's actually a really important part of our lives. Like if we don't have those moments of high adrenaline, those moments are often, you know, what gets us through a situation or allows us to do something that we've been trying to do or get through a challenge that we that we actually want to get through. So stress isn't always bad. So it's kind of rethinking it, but it's also building up ourselves so we're ready for it when it happens and also recognising when we're trying to deal with too much at the same time. So, so that was kind of the work in Resilience Lab. And then now what I'm doing more and more of is adapting lots of the stuff that we do with young people, either sort of training professionals in how to do it with the young people they work with. So our reach is a bit broader or actually applying some of the stuff that we do into kind of more corporate settings or, you know, looking at staff burnout. Um, we're trying at the moment um, to create an online course in Resilience for for basically staff and managers so they can use that and it's not it is very much not just about fixing your own personal resilience it's thinking about the resilience of the whole organization or the culture that you're in so the onus isn't just on that individual it's actually on all of us and the systems that we've got in place and how they help us or they don't help us in terms of dealing with those things so yeah Yeah, very interesting it sounds like you're being led by passion yes I think I always am. I did. <laughs> um, I have to say, I'm probably not a very details orientated person, although I can be that if I have to. I am definitely someone who has passions about things and can speak to that and will follow them. And I, I mean, I think 
I am pretty passionate about stuff around age and ageism generally. So I think young people definitely get a really bad rep, unfairly so. And I think also now that I'm getting older, I think older people also <laughs> get, an, yeah. get an unfair rep and tend to get written off a little bit, although that is changing, I think. Um, yeah. So ageism is something that really interests me. Bodies really interest me. So I actually trained when I was younger as a dancer and um, I used to be an antenatal teacher and kind of used to do pregnancy yoga and stuff like that. And so the link between bodies and brains really, really gets me going because I just think that we're so out of our bodies nowadays that that's kind of part of the reason why we're all collectively struggling so much. So it's how we com combine, you know, our human inherent physicality alongside the modern world that we're now living in where we're doing so much stuff sitting down mm, and I online <laughs> yeah are you still dancing I uh I live somewhere where there isn't there aren't very many easily accessible dance classes and so my dancing now is mainly kitchen dancing <laughs> although I I have made a promise to myself that I'm going to get that that going again and actually one of the things in lockdown that sort of was a tiny a tiny pebble in the in the kind of in the wall of keeping me well was a friend of mine who is a dance teacher well she's a lecturer an academic she did a whole project around distant dances and um she asked for people to join in with that so I did and it's the first kind of proper in inverted commas dance work that I've done for a long time but um but yeah so I'm I'm still moving as much as I can but I need to I need to do it more it's definitely a lack at the moment I'm quite fascinated with dancers how dancers are really in their body yeah um that I've I've taken up dancing more during the lockdown because I felt like I needed to express myself and I couldn't do that in sort of yoga or meditation I felt I needed more free movement yeah um and so is this something that you've always been into your body as young as you know when you first started and did that carry on still even when you didn't dance yes I think I think that is actually I think that's true I mean when I was really little do you know the Angelina Ballerina books yeah okay so when there's yeah. one where she, she's dancing around the house and basically breaking lots of things and her mum's like well, I think we need to send her to a dance class I think that was essentially kind of what happened in our house in that I started well basically mum sent me off at the age of three and I don't think I ever had a break in dancing so and when I was a teenager I was going several times a week and um it was that's what I did that that was what I did and through university carried on and was producing shows and choreographing and actually um two people that I worked with when I was doing dance at university have gone on to do some amazing stuff in that world um and what yeah it was interesting because I there was a moment in my life when I was sort of choosing what to do after university and I didn't choose a dance pathway which i have it I don't regret very much in my life but that's the one decision that I kind of sometimes go back over and feel like you know what would have been different if I had gone down that route but I never stopped moving and actually like all of my probably most memorable experiences or favorite memories or just the way that I relate to other people is through is through my body 
like it's definitely how I understand the world. Um, and I, I don't get them so much anymore, but I definitely used to have quite, a, there was a recurring nightmare I used to get where I'd um, break my legs, <laughs> which is weird to kind of say, but yeah, it had a big effect on me. Sorry, that's my phone going. Oh, no worries. The landline. I'm not used to having a landline. <laughs> Do you need to take no, it? No, I'll let it ring out. I'll ring them back. Okay. Someone has a landline. I, <laughs> I can't tell you how excited my mother is about the fact that I've got a landline. Wow. She doesn't like using mobile phones then. No, she doesn't do mobile phones. She switches her mobile phone when she wants to call you, but she won't have it on if you want to get her. Big okay. That's interesting. <laughs> Hmm, very interesting about your dance career. So what have you learned about yourself this year? What have I learned about myself this year? I have learned that that I'm much more comfortable with this smaller, quieter life than I thought I was going to be. And it, that wasn't that hasn't been true the whole way through. Like when lockdown first happened, I had it was a very tricky period for me I really 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 struggled at the start um I think because it was sort of taking me it felt like I was going backwards to the situation I'd been in two years before that of basically the only adult I was seeing was the children's dad um and there was no possibility of kind of all the other things that I wanted to do and it almost felt like I was losing my identity again which is something that I had felt before I um, before I left the marriage and was one of the kind of reasons why I had and so it was really hard it was almost like triggering at the start because it was just feeling that loss mm. yep. but then there was various things that I did that kind of shifted things and actually myself and the kids dad had some had a lot of actually much more honest and um open conversations about what had happened between us and what the situation was now um and it's I mean it's been a process I've been going through anyway over the last few years but my ideas about relationships have really changed and the nature of relationships and how they can work sometimes and it's also got to the point now where I live somewhere quite rural we've got a really good local community you know, I've got my home now, so I feel quite safe. Um, and actually, apart from maybe, like, apart from missing working at Glastonbury and seeing a couple of very select friends, I don't actually miss that much. Like, this quieter life is easier. You know, we're not rushing around. We're not, we don't have 50,000 different engagements or people to see. I, you know, I used to go off kind of every weekend visiting people and I'm not doing that now. I'm at home a lot more and it feels good. It feels calm. And actually in that calm, there's sort of space for other things to, to, to come out, which is, which is really nice. And I, I think I've always been quite an impatient person and someone who likes to make things happen. Um, you know, if I can see something that needs doing, I'll, I will just do it. I don't I don't tend to kind of wait around but this whole period has taught me to be a lot more patient and that sometimes it's okay for things just to be and that's fine so mm -hmm. I'm not pushing so much 
which is weird because I think I've spent 41 years pushing. <laughs> oh, that's a nice learning. Do you think you're trying to create a life? Do you remember that program with The Good Life with Felicity Kendall? And it was all about <laughs> um, growing your own vegetables. And she was oh, such an innocent in her dungarees. And I know, uh, I know. I think I'm some sort of um, weird Frankenstein mix of, of her and um, Margot, to be fair. <laughs> Right, there's definitely, um, I mean, no, the, we, we, the, the, and it relates to the physicality, like that thing of like having your hands connected to the soil and all that kind of stuff and doing physical stuff is really, really, you know, it's good and it feels good. But um, I don't know, it's also, I think, just about being, being satisfied, learning how to be satisfied with what you have yes. currently. Yeah. So tell me about um, your home life. You've got three children. Can you tell me their yes. ages? My daughter is 10 and my twin boys are eight. And they are super cool. But I didn't have a single quiet child. So it's always quite loud. <laughs> and you want calm. <laughs> well, I mean... I mean, I, I suppose maybe that's it. Maybe because they are so full of life, that having calmness around that is necessary. Otherwise, there's just too much noise. Mm. But um, no, they're great. They're really hilarious and very different from each other in lots of different ways. Um, and yeah, I share them with my ex. And so they spend a week with me and a week with him. And um, during the kind of current situation, because socialising is all a bit complicated, sometimes me and him actually sometimes have weekends where the other one comes over because doing things with two parents sometimes is easier than doing them on your own but um yeah we're kind of working that out at the moment we don't really know exactly what we're doing but we're trying some new stuff cool and how did homeschooling work out then during the lockdown oh we didn't do any oh okay i mean like <laughs> i when i i don't know i i saw what other people were doing it's great fantastic wonderful um our school is in an area where there's um a reasonable amount of um well there's a very high level of um kids receiving for example free school meals so like in our school there's not a huge amount of kids who've got the same access to digital stuff so our school is doing some quite simple things in terms of like encouraging kids to learn at home but to be honest i work and their dad works and so they just had to kind of occupy themselves pretty much I mean I think Carol Vordman taught them a bit of maths in the morning yeah. as far as I'm aware but apart from that then the day was there you know they could kind of do whatever they want really um I'm really lucky as a parent in that I don't really have much parental guilt and I realize that's a bit of a unusual quality as a parent it's a great quality well, that you know, they were okay, and they were they were. I mean, there were points where they were not happy because they were just you know such a weird situation and not having social contacts and all that kind of stuff. But on the whole, you know, they were fed. They were reasonably okay. They all can read, so you know that's fine. And um, and you know, the only thing that we kind of insisted on is we did something outside every single day. Um, but apart from that, it was it was just trying to fit them 
and work in together. Um, and it, it kind of worked. I mean, like, I'm really glad they've gone back to school because they love it. Uh, I think if they, if they, you know, if any of them had really thrived in the out of school environment and were really not coping going back, then we would look at it again. But all three of them seem to absolutely love going to school, even if it's just to have a gossip. But, um, <laughs> like any oh, I human. miss those days. <laughs> I know, I know. They, there's, they have so many stories when they come out of school. Um, it's great. Oh, all right. Well, I'm going to ask you a meaty question now. What's your okay. definition of empowerment? What's my definition? I've been thinking about this. Um, I think it's feeling strong enough to speak out when you need to and to shut up when you need to. And what I mean by that is that there's been a couple of situations in the last year where there's been a kind of drama brewing. Um, and and most and a lot of the times people are really worried about saying something or doing something. You know, they're worried about the repercussions. You know, if I kind of stand up for this or if I say that, is what's this person going to think? And, you know, all of those sorts of things. And I think when you're really empowered, you're empowered because you know the the base from where you're kind of making decisions or that you're speaking from is secure. So you're feeling good about yourself. You feel like you've got a handle on what your values and beliefs are. And so you're then able to kind of be quite brave. And I think empowerment and bravery go hand in hand for me. Yeah. Like feeling like you've got options. And the, mm. the bit about shutting up <laughs> Is that I think when you're really in, when you know when you are empowered when you feel empowered, then you don't have to prove it all the time. Like you don't have to kind of go around showing it off. And I've been thinking about this a lot because lots of you know I, I went part time at work and lots of people were asking me if I was going to develop a side hustle. And I'm, I'm actually not at the minute. But lots of people are saying, oh, you could do life coaching or you know all these different options. And actually i don't i don't need to at the moment like i at the moment it feels okay to just be quiet and to be an influence on my immediate circle and community and do small things within that zone that, that are going to be kind of useful or important but actually it's okay to sometimes just take a back seat and yeah, and I think that, you know, the ability to do that, like to not feel like you have to constantly prove yourself, that takes quite a lot of bravery as well. It does. Yeah, so that's, I don't Agreed. know, that's my, that's my current take on it. I might change my mind tomorrow, but you know. <laughs> yeah, do you know what? I do ask that question um, and everybody comes up with different answers, but you're probably right, actually. It could change every week. And also, <laughs> the definition I think you of know it when, you, when you feel it, like, if you can think back to a time, and this is something I used to do with some of the young people I worked with, like, because we talk a lot about strengths and what strengths get us through different situations. And if you think back to a time where you feel that kind of like total all body kind of like, yes, moment, that's probably you feeling empowered. You know, when you're feeling free and you're feeling like you can express yourself and 
your body's kind of there and everything's sort of working together and sort of if you can see those moments in your past and when they happen then it might start telling you something about when you feel empowered or what conditions you might need to be in that state and you know we're not yeah, gonna, you know nice. like you're not going to be in a like a, a fully empowered realized woman every single moment of every single day because you know there are some moments where you just need to take a rest and have a nap and that's fine but um definitely yeah so, so what helps you to feel empowered then um what helps me to feel empowered i think being well rested and eating and um sleeping and um having regular breaks to do stuff i like doing so that it kind of fills me up and then what sort of keeps me empowered i think it's partly that passion that you spoke about at the beginning so having things i actually care about um having a very small but very solid circle of support people who are my friends or who love me you know but it's i'm talking tiny numbers i really have that's another thing about this year i've whittled down who i actually need in my life to a tiny tiny group and then i think the other thing that keeps me empowered is sort of being inspired by the people and I don't mean like big famous people I mean people in my life so my mum is a constant source of um in, I mean frustration and inspiration um and just yeah other people who kind of uh doing things or struggling or challenging the status quo that really helps but really it's the fundamentals yeah. it's just feeling okay you know like not smoking and <laughs> having rest days and taking time to read a lovely book all of those things help as much True. as anything else i want to talk about rest actually because it's, ah, yeah. it's funny that when people do rest they feel guilty and it's something that also i noticed in myself last week i had weekend to myself and I was like great I'm just going to Netflix and chill and then suddenly I start to feel guilty mm. and I thought where has this guilt come from I shouldn't have to feel guilty but I think it's something that is automatic with a lot of people I think it's hence part, yeah it's part of the culture that we live in we're all expecting to be productive mm. all of the time and so like a day where you do absolutely nothing seems like a like there's something wrong and it's a bit I don't know whether you ever you came across this book when you were having babies there's a lovely book called what mothers do especially when it looks like nothing no I don't know that book it's, um, sounds interesting yeah, well it's just this idea that you know women especially with young babies would say that they hadn't done anything all day when they'd been like holding a baby feeding a baby you know but it just didn't it didn't feel like they'd done something to themselves because they weren't doing these you know the, the, the kind of um sort of more external things that you can show and it's this is this fixation on pro productivity basically I think and it, I used to work with someone who said that um rest is a revolutionary act that actually by taking yeah. a break and really taking that time out you're doing something quite revolutionary it's um because it's so anti what the you know the current culture is around and I'm not saying it's true. I like, like that. Rest forever. <laughs> <laughs> it, you know, 
but I I think there's real value to just actually properly resting and that can look really different to different people so maybe Netflix wasn't like the option that you should have gone for maybe there was something else that would have been as restful but would have felt less guilty who knows yeah but I even found that when I was reading a book really were you distracted um no I just I just noticed the feeling and I pushed it away and I thought I just thought it was interesting to observe myself in that way Mm. like oh that's funny that I'm feeling guilt and I shouldn't have to feel like that Mm. and then I thought about other people must feel like this they do completely I I mean I recognize that and I think also I don't know whether you recognize this but as a single person you're sort of doing it on your own (laughs) which I know might sound like a luxury to lots of people but sometimes that's quite hard like just being quiet on your own in your own company yeah it actually takes quite a lot of discipline almost yes that's true yeah rather than distracting are you used to that now being being on your own are you yeah I love I love being on my own (laughs) I'm I'm one of those extroverts who um needs to then also have time out so I can go and stand in front of a group of people and do like a big old thing but I will be quite upset if someone just pops in afterwards okay is that an introverted extrovert quality I guess so I mean I to be honest I don't hold much stock by all those personality type things because I think we can be lots of different things at different moments yeah um I, yeah, I just need that downtime to kind of absorb stuff, I think. Like, the, mm-hmm. it's one of the reasons why bedtime was always so, was, I mean, I'm not a particularly disciplinarian parent, but like, my kids going to bed at a certain time was like a non-negotiable because I needed that space to be able to kind of then have enough energy the next day. And yeah, I've I've always been quite comfortable in my own company, just pottering around. I love that word, potter. <laughs> it's a great word. It is, and it, it's so Felicity Kendall. Yeah, pottering <laughs> around and also going for a bimble. <laughs> What's a bimble? Bimble along. You sort of walk, but it's not like a. It's not oh. a walk with a great deal of purpose. You sort of just. Oh, I, I don't know that no. word. Where does that word come from? I have no idea. In which I do, I do oh, quite a lot of bimbling around. <laughs> I'm going to use that. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it is that really Anthony kind of like achievement. It's really funny. Like I'm, I um, have done a bit of uh, rock climbing over the last couple of years, and my climbing partner thinks it's hilarious because I I am not interested in like actually getting better or doing more scary walls or kind of pushing myself particularly in any direction I just like the action of doing it and then stopping (laughs) I like that so so turning it non-competitive all right so when did you have a um, felt you had a new lease on life when did I feel I had a new lease on life when um sorry cream when I left my marriage (laughs) um and it's not, it's really not a reflection on him. It's about me. It's about, um, I don't think I'm 
someone who needed to be or wanted or felt particularly comfortable in a marriage like that's I really like working in partnership with him in terms of the kids and you know we'll always be a family but I needed to be my own person in my own right and um, when I moved out and lived on my own it was like it was like I kind of woke up again it's the only way I just can describe it and it's yeah, good actually because you know even with coming slightly more back together because of lockdown I, I have been able to re retain that and I know how important that is to me so it is a priority really Mm. And I want to talk about your poetry, oh, yeah. um, which you've been reading on the stage. Um, how did that happen? Well, I've, I've always written. Um, I wrote at school and I carried on writing in my personal life. You know, just used to write poems for myself. I would occasionally send them to my parents. That was about it. Um, and I went to a university which has a lot of people who are very clever and or think they are. Um, and so there was a there was quite a lot of um, competition around writing. So I just I ducked away from it. And I realised this is something that I do because I'm actually quite a competitive person that sometimes when I see a competition and it sort of means too much, I'll, I'll walk away from it rather than face it. Um, and then the years passed and then so maybe about a year, year and a half ago, I realised this about myself that because I'm so competitive, I kind of avoid going into competition, you know, like avoid exposing myself to that idea of failure or success or whatever. Um, and then I thought this is ridiculous because I really love writing poetry and it really helps me. Like it's a way that I process how I feel and what's going on in my life at the moment or just describing the world around me in a different way. And I, like, it's not a conscious thing, they just come out. And um, and then I found this poetry evening in Bristol and it's called um, Tonic. And it basically was quite a nice format because they put out a load of prompts the month before and you bid for a prompt. And if you get it, you get to read it at the next one and then you get to talk about it. So they have the performers and then you get a Q and A. And I decided to just go for it and give it a go. and um the vagina poem <laughs> was the one that I wrote for that first show so I went along having not read any of my poems out loud for 20 years and decided to read that to an audience and then got a really good reaction and also remembered how much I love being in front of an audience and then it then it carried on from there and then obviously lockdown happened so then we weren't performing in front of each other we were doing it online and then they're a really supportive group so that it kind of carried on and then through that I've met other people and now it's starting to connect in other different ways I still don't know exactly what I want from my poetry I at the moment it's enough just to write it and to put them out there occasionally cool have you got an idea for your next poem well I'm gonna um I've taken a prompt for next month because I haven't been to one for a few months and I've, I took curtains because I got I've just moved into this new house and I'm putting up a lot of curtains and getting quite frustrated with them. And also, I just think it's, I really like the idea of writing about something domestic that then can link into actually much bigger, bigger ideas. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Oh, I look forward but, to um, that. I usually um, probably write it the day before I'm meant to be performing it because I'm, that's how I work. <laughs> have you got any 
recommendations on life-changing books? Yes, I do. I'm not really a fan of self-help books or anything like that, but Kathleen Jamie's books kind of do perform the same function for me because they talk about the world, but also really small things and then connect loads of kind of different dots. And she she very much writes a lot about the environment and how we, you know, how we're all connected. And I don't know, like every time I read one of her collections of essays, I feel inspired and I feel hope, but I also feel the urgency of kind of doing something more. Um, and they're just beautiful. Like you can't, it's like a kind of, it's like a spa day for your mind. But you know, they, they just, they are so perfect, her books, for me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So it's not like a guide of how to live. It's more just kind of observations that help you to kind of have those same moments in your own life, I guess. Great. And do you have any phrases or affirmations or words that you use to help you feel strong? <laughs> I was thinking about this. No, no, I don't. But when I was lit, when I was, <laughs> I can't believe I'm telling you this. When I was a teenager, for some reason, I used to say Benjamin Netanyahu over and over and over and over again to myself. I don't know why. At all. I just used to like the way that the, the letters sound and um, <laughs> it's something I found with words generally. It's more about kind of the shape of them than the actual meaning. I've no idea why I used to say that to myself, but it got stuck in my head. Um, but no, I'm not really, I'm not really a motivational, meme kind of person. Okay, that's interesting because my sister used really? to say that over really? there as well. Yeah. Why is it about that name? When she was at school. I think it's because she just liked yeah. the sound of it, just the way it, it, it moved on her tongue. She just kept yeah. repeating it. That's exactly what I used to do. It's, I mean, yeah. and, you know, yeah, I mean, it, it's odd, but, um, but it obviously provided some kind of comfort. I don't know. It's funny, isn't it? Maybe, maybe it's a bit like yeah. an om, you know, how um, oming kind of uh, resonates yes. in the body you can feel it on your yes. on your throat and I think maybe that also has the yeah. same effect I, yeah it could be and I think the tongue rolls a little bit mm. when you say mm. that word yeah I do love a good yeah. on mm. yeah oh, I haven't been in a room full of people doing that for a very long time it's funny isn't it when you think about things like that that's when you sort of feel the loss but um most of the time I can go around just pretending that didn't happen. Yeah. I mean, for me, I can't go back to England. So mm. I am feeling uh, a bit sad about that. You know, my mum is really sad yeah, that she but... can't see me and the kids. Um, but that's the only thing, really, that I'm missing. Actually, it's quite a big yeah, it's thing. Quite a big thing. <laughs> it's, it's, but it is that thing of being in the moment, yeah. isn't it? It's kind of, it's trying not to think too far off. You know, be... Yeah, and it's accepting yeah. it. It's accepting this yeah. chaos. So I'm accepting it. Yeah, I think we all need it. a bit of radical acceptance at the moment, don't we? And where can people find you if, if you want, want to be, to be found? found. Well, I'm on Twitter, but that's mostly for work. So if people are interested in um, mental health stuff, then I am Bronwyn Rashad on Twitter. Um, 
Instagram is where I sort of connect more with the poetry world and I am I've just changed it actually to something slightly more sensible so I am now Bromwen Wilsonian because some other person stole my name but um but yeah I'm yeah Instagram and Twitter are probably the best places to find me okay sounds great I'm gonna find you on yes, on Instagram then <laughs> cool it's been so lovely still, speaking i can't believe that we've actually known each other for what when it 2008 like 12 years i met you 12 years ago i know when, when you get crashed my honeymoon that is crazy yeah it was really fun it was a great honeymoon <laughs> croatia were in the euros weren't they everyone's watching football that's why I, I think that's when i broke my engagement really yes. late for evening I was clapping so too you hard like and it? also probably the ring was a bit shit. <laughs> um, <laughs> was, yeah, there was a, one of the stones fell out and then I remember spending the evening crawling around on my hands and knees trying to find it. Someone found it though. Mm. Mm. Wow, that was lucky. All right. Well, absolutely loved talking to you and loved all your answers. And... Um, yeah, no. let's not wait another 13 no, years before not. we speak again. And just to add, that's not the end of the interview. Bronwyn is coming up with her poem. Just giving you a little bit of warning here to maybe get your earphones out if there are children around. So you don't hear some of the colourful language coming up. And have you got your poem to hand? Would you like to hear it? Let's hear it, yes. Okay. Vagina jokes can be funny. What's even funnier is that most of them are actually about vulvas. Oh, how I laugh when they get called vaginas, like someone calling their chin their elbow. The laugh falls off my lips when vaginas get called things like gash or slash or twinkle or fairy as a midwife once described my friend's postnatal genitalia. I mean, I suppose they do have wings. My vagina has a sense of humour. When she makes odd sounds, when she's teased to the point of hilarity, my kids frequently laugh at the sheer amazingness that they made their way out of her at all. The vagina doesn't even lose its sense of fun when it's the time for her to allow the passage of a monthly bleed. I like to think she laughs at the landing pad. My friend's period's pants have vampires on them. I've never understood why all the worst insults are related to the vagina. Words used in anger or about idiots, the disgust we feel for things we're yet to understand. Twat, pussy, cunt. All they describe to me is power and pleasure. Whereas a dickhead, I mean, what's funnier than that? That's a great ending. 